spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Thank you for joining us on Easy's Community Focus this morning, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. We have a packed program today. We're going to get a sneak peek at a Breast Cancer Awareness Month program with Susan G. Komen Foundation, an update on how South Floridians are doing with filling out the census, the deadline coming up September 30th, another reason to salute our firefighters and first responders, And we'll start with information about an upcoming job fair, the one thing that's been impacted by COVID-19 as much or more as concerns about our health is our job security. There has been a complete paradigm shift in the job market, with some companies thriving and needing more employees, others struggling and forcing furloughs and layoffs. But there are a lot of jobs out there. It's just a matter of knowing where to look. And September 22nd, the Return to Work virtual job fair will be the place. To tell us about it, I am going to let the organizer of the job fair with MD Marketing Network, Melissa Dunn. Thank you for talking to us, Melissa. Thank you for having me. So what was the whole deal with coming up with this Return to Work virtual fair? We came up with the idea... Because as we're speaking with the residents of Lauder Hill and the surrounding area, we keep hearing that people are out of work. Um, these communities were challenged to begin with, with unemployment rates well over 10% prior to COVID-19. And then now that COVID has hit, you can imagine a lot more people are unemployed. And so this return to work virtual fair was our way of connecting employers who are hiring to members of the Lauder Hill community and the surrounding area so that we can put people back to work. Love it. And I know that people who are looking for work are going to be very excited about it. You have a number of partners who are helping you to organize this. Do you want to tell us about them and what their involvement is? Absolutely. I think our chief partner on this project is Prosperity Broward, a program of the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance Foundation. The primary purpose of Prosperity Broward is to help people to get into a pipeline towards prosperity. So whether that's getting them a job, job training, or wraparound services, Prosperity Broward is 100% committed to doing that. We are also partnering with the Haitian American Chamber of Commerce, the Jamaican Ex-Policeman Association, Creative HR Partners, and other partners like Done Wisdom as well. The challenge is that sometimes if you're at home and you're isolated, you're assuming that perhaps people are not hiring, right? Right. And so this return to work virtual fair will help people to find out exactly who's hiring and what it takes to find employment during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, We're going to be doing three primary things. Number one, we're going to be connecting people to employment. So that's the job fair piece. Secondly, we're going to be providing people with information about various training opportunities. Fabulous. And third, those who are unemployed right now and have had difficulty accessing unemployment benefits, 
We will have, through our partnership with the Immigration Coalition, we will have people on hand to help people complete their unemployment application as well. Excellent. And one of the things I really love is on top of your graphic about return to work, it says living wages matter exclamation. You know, what people could live on 10 years ago or five years ago is not the same as what you need to live on nowadays. So it's good to see the focus on that. Now, the big question is, how are you going to be able to do all of these things virtually? Well, granted, it's going to be a challenge. However, the Zoom platform is very robust. One of our partners is Career Source Broward, and they have been hosting virtual job fairs since the pandemic started. So we know that we can get it done with Zoom quite easily. We will have a virtual component from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. And then we have a couple of companies that has already stated to us that they do want the opportunity to interview people in person. So if that's the case, we will actually have the opportunity to schedule socially distanced in-person interviews from 12 to 2 p.m. How does someone arrange for that in advance? Or is that something that's decided the day of after they've met someone virtually? When you register at return, the number two work.us, that's return to work.us, we will ask you to upload your resume. And at that time, we'll forward it to the employer and they'll notify who they want to interview. And then you'll get scheduled a slot to come in. We'll practice complete social distancing and they'll give you an opportunity to interview for that position. Is there a deadline for registering? The deadline to register is next Friday. So that is the Friday before the event, September 18th. But I would say to register as soon as possible. Because that way your resume can be looked at in advance. And if they want to set up an in-person interview with you, they can do that. And one of the other reminders you have here that's really critical, and I think we forget because we're so used to, if we are working at home or going to school at home, not worrying about what we look like to dress professionally, even virtually. It's very, very, very important because, again, you're in front of employers and first impression counts for everything. So at least make sure that you look very professional. Okay, great. A phone number (laughs) for information. Yes, you may call or text 954-546-1708. That's 954 546-1708. You may call or text that number. And the website again is return to work.us. That's return the number to work.us. Do you have openings for last minute companies that are looking for employees? We are absolutely looking for companies and we're still accepting applications from employers. Both the employer and the community registration is on the website. There's a a particular organization that just confirmed Trinity Healthcare, and they are looking to hire RNs and LPNs. They will also have a contact from the school there as well. So if you are in the medical field, this is absolutely an event that you want to attend. Yeah, there must be plenty of openings in the medical field right now. I am For sure. sure. Yes. Uh, again, www.returntowork.us. 
www.ghostbusters.us. This is an outstanding service that you're providing for the community and the residents of Lauder Hill. If someone doesn't live in Lauder Hill, are they allowed to still participate? Absolutely. Lauder Hill is a nucleus to make anyone who needs a job. Okay, fantastic. I hope that there will be lots of, if you want to call it, hooking up (laughs) between employers and employees. I would love to see those people who need work find work and the companies that are looking for great people to work for them find those. Absolutely. I do want to make sure that people understand, too, that even if you are not looking for work or unemployment benefits, we will have organizations there that can give you an opportunity to go back to school. Oh, great. You've got it all covered. Okay. So if you Mm -hmm. need help with the unemployment benefits, if you need help with learning how to interview. A new skill. Yes, all of it. Just what we need. Again, this is September 22nd, a week from Tuesday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Return to Work Virtual Fair. And the website again to register is returntowork.us. Melissa Dunn with MD Marketing Network. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. For our next segment of EZ's Community Focus, following 9-11 on Friday, I wanted to take a few minutes to remember why we value our first responders so much, why we call them heroes. No question, this year with COVID-19 in the picture, our definition of hero has expanded to include our doctors and nurses, all of the frontline workers, cashiers, drivers, delivery people, and more. And, of course, our police and firefighters remain in the category, now dealing not only with putting their lives, literally putting their lives on the line, facing violent situations or burning buildings, but also facing exposure to COVID-19. To give us some insight into what firefighters are dealing with on a day-to-day basis now, I am thrilled to welcome back Rhoda May Kerr, Chief of the City of Fort Lauderdale Fire Department. We had a chance to talk a few weeks ago. That was about her being honored as an inspirational woman, the first female fire chief of the City of Fort Lauderdale, and she'll be honored at the Girl Scouts of Southeast Florida's Lead the Way Luncheon coming up this Wednesday the 16th. It is virtual and it's free, and you can find more info about it on our Facebook page at Easy 93 What I'd like to know now is what has it been like with this ongoing challenge of a pandemic and having to work under these conditions? So you said the right word, first of all, challenge, but it's been unbelievably busy and difficult and constantly changing. So, you know, when we started out was, you know, what precautions did we have to take? And we're running these calls every day on people that had COVID-like symptoms and then making sure and monitoring, did they come out positive or not? And then responding into a facility that may have had like 15 COVID positive patients, you Mm. know? So just trying to find the right protection for them, make sure they're wearing the right masks. And then the shortage of what they call PPE or personal protective equipment. And so we came up with a couple of things that we could do in order to extend the life of those N95 masks that our firefighters and personnel were wearing into a COVID environment and that we couldn't get our hands on. And we were, you know, running around to hardware stores and dive shops and anywhere else we could to get these N95 masks. And just finding a way to extend their life along with like uh, 
Parks and Rec Department built the boxes and Public Works engineered them for us. And then we put the sanitizing boxes where they could put their mask in for five minutes. So we put one of those in every firehouse. The other thing that we were worried about is how do we sanitize our units? You know, after you've been with a patient, we need to sanitize the units, particularly the back of a rescue truck, right, or the ambulance, as you would know it. And there was a shortage of the chemical for a um, machine that we were using. So then we came up with a way to sanitize using ultraviolet and put these machines inside the truck and took care of sanitizing the truck. We didn't have to worry about finding the chemical, the hard to obtain chemical. So it was really challenging in the very beginning when we didn't know anything, you know, we didn't know that much about the virus. How do you catch it? How do you not catch it? When are you contagious? When you should be put on quarantine? When you should be put on isolation? If we're going to put you in isolation or quarantine, you don't want to be home. Where do we put you? You know, securing a hotel space, whatever it might have been, was a huge challenge. But I had such a great team that just stood up and took care of everything. You know, I had a research team. I took one of my folks and made them the infectious disease control. And I mean, they just did a phenomenal job. And that said, we never were decimated by sick firefighters like some departments have been. Amazing. And also counting on other departments in the city and bringing them in and having a cooperative effort is truly special. And, you know, it's the definition of community when everyone works together for a good outcome. So you are not in any way limited to just being called out for fires. You are called out for all of these other circumstances around illness, people having heart attacks or, as you say, the COVID symptoms. That's correct. What were the firefighters' concerns about having to go out and make these calls? So, I mean, I think their their biggest concern and, and mine for them as well is, you know, exposure, being exposed to somebody who was COVID positive, right? And then here, everybody else in the city and, you know, in the county is on lockdown, right? They're home safe, right? And they're, you know, maybe going to Publix, maybe not, you know, they're having groceries delivered and the firefighters are running these calls and then they go home to their family. So the concern was making sure that they weren't bringing the disease home because, you know, people can be asymptomatic and still be positive. So we wouldn't know whether they were positive or not. So how do you test people? How do we make sure we're taking care of the well people, but not exposing them to the people that were sick, but didn't even know they were sick? Exactly. And it's so weird to think about these people who go into burning homes without fear or seemingly without fear having concern about a virus, but it, again, is because so little is known about it. You know, we're only six months into this, and it has changed. What we know has changed, and even the virus itself has mutated. So there's never a complete sureness about what you're facing, whether you'll be someone who will be hit hard and end up intubated, or whether you'll be asymptomatic and breeze through it. Whereas I guess when you go into a burning home, you know what you're doing and you can control some of the environment. Yeah, you can. But then think about this. So not only are you going into a structure fire, right? And we've got all the right protection on, but you come out and then you go, oh gosh, you know, 
I still have to protect myself. Now I got to put another different kind of mask on my face, you know? So, you know, that same COVID positive worry is there even when you're in a structure fire, right? So it's not just running those medical calls. It's, you know, a vehicle extrication or a vehicle accident or somebody down. And, we, you know, we run a lot of calls, a person passed out. We don't know why they passed out, you know? So we have to be so careful. Treat everything as if it were COVID positive until we know otherwise. Well, I please give your team gratitude from me and the community for what they do and for putting themselves on the front lines every day. Thank you for what you've done to ensure their safety as much as possible and to bring everyone together to work against this pandemic, which I assume at some point it'll be gone. But for the moment, we continue to face it on a day-to-day basis. And with people like you and your firefighters, it makes it easier for the rest of us. So thank you. I really appreciate you know, your kind words. And, and I truly appreciate those firefighters. They do a phenomenal job every single day, and I'm so proud of them. Is there anything that the public can do to make it easier for you to do your job? They sure can. They can wear their masks. They can make sure they maintain social distancing, and they can make sure they're constantly washing their hands. I mean, I know that sounds so repetitive, but it is the three things that will help stop the spread of this disease. And if it stops the spread, then we stop exposing firefighters to those risks. Amen. We got to take care of our heroes 100%. Chief Rodemaker, City of Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue, you're amazing. I'm in awe, and I thank you for everything you do. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate your time. Likewise. Joining us now, I'm very happy to welcome Emanuela Jean-Etienne, who is both Community Relations Coordinator with the Urban League of Broward County and part of Florida Counts, working with a number of nonprofits to make sure that everyone fills out the census. Very, very important. And we're coming up to the deadline, September 30th. So, Emanuela, thank you for talking to us today. Let's get right to it. With just over two weeks left to fill out the census, how is Florida doing with responses? So the truth is we could be doing a lot better. As of today, the Miami self-response rate is 60.7, and that is 7.3 points behind the 2020 census rate. And for Broward County, we're at 61.4%, which is 4.8 points behind the 2020 census rate. So we are still behind our census 2020 rate. And because we're in the midst of a pandemic, it is that much more difficult to raise the count because a lot of the efforts that we would have been doing from our nonprofit side, um, engaging with the community, hosting community events, having enumerators is something that's just not possible right now. So not only are we behind, but we're kind of struggling in ways to reach out to our community that were there in 2010 that is not there at this current time. Now, there are three different ways to respond. Is there time yet for people to mail in their response, or is it best at this point to use the phone or online response? So it's still possible to send in your paper questionnaire, but honestly, it takes 10 minutes of your time to do it either online or by phone. So while there are three ways to do it, what we're encouraging is that people either call in to do it or go online at my2020census.gov. And when I did it, it just took 10 minutes. With these multiple ways to respond, and there's assistance on the phone in multiple languages, what are some of the main reasons that people don't respond to the census? Usually it's 
lack of knowledge. They don't know about the census or why it's important. Earlier in the year, before the pandemic hit, we would have community conversations with people in person. And then once it hit, we would have online conversations. And what we realized was that a lot of people just didn't know why the census was important and why they should fill it out and how it impacted their lives. Another thing that we saw was that there was apathy and sometimes fear about filling out the census. So those are the things, those are the barriers that we have had to overcome and still have to overcome to ensure that we have a complete count in the 2020 census this year. So let's explain then why it is so important for every single person to respond, even if they're not a legal citizen. So the census paints a picture of who is in our nation. And there are so many different reasons why the census is important. So when we're doing data collection, when we're doing surveys on the needs of our community, we use census data. When it comes to where we should build new businesses, where we should build roads, schools and hospitals, what kind of funding that they need, the census is used to make those decisions. When we're talking about emergency funding, regardless of whether you are a citizen or not, if there's a natural disaster, FEMA is one of the organizations that use census data to determine how much funding a particular area gets. When we have other emergencies, such as a global pandemic, for example, we <laughs> definitely see, right? We definitely see the importance of having adequate funding for our hospitals and our clinics. And finally, something else that the pandemic has exposed is our education system and children's education. So we need funding for all of the resources for our children, and that is properly allocated with the assistance of the census. Okay, so it really impacts everyone on some level. And, you know, like you pointed out, the pandemic has brought out so many more issues that we might not have thought of before. And one of them is making it more difficult for everyone working for the census and the people who are temporary workers to get out and reach a lot of different populations. Um, I know it's harder to reach people who live in certain types of housing, transitory locations, the people who are in the RV parks or temporary housing. I mean, even I had never even thought of this, but I saw carnivals and circuses. So how are mm -hmm. the census takers reaching out to those people now? So the census takers at this point are trying to do the best that they can. So because of the pandemic, uh, census enumerators and the census on the ground operations had to take a pause. And then once they started up again, it was at a much smaller scale. But a lot of the work that is being done right now is trying to meet people where they are. So setting up locations in high traffic areas right now, having uh, individuals near food drives, for example, to get them counted but also doing advertisements in these areas so that people know that you can still respond online and by phone. When the census takers are going out, I know a lot of people don't like answering their door if they don't know who it is. How can someone be sure that the person knocking on their door is, in fact, a census taker? That is a valid question. They will have an ID on them. So if you don't feel comfortable be sure to ask whether they have identification that will inform you that they are a census taker. Now, when you finally get face to face with someone, what questions, we keep saying it takes just 10 minutes, what are the actual questions that census takers are asking? So they're asking the bare minimum. So they're asking for your name, your date of birth, your age, your race, your address. 
on how many people actually live in your home and your relation to them. This is really even less information than you would fill out for any kind of job application. So it's not a big deal. Literally a couple of minutes. Right. So if you're applying for a job or if you're applying for any sort of assistance, even if you're applying for college, they'll ask significantly more questions than what is asked on the census. And the main point, again, is just to get the numbers, exactly how many people live, because that's what determines the funding. It's so important, as you keep saying, and I'll reiterate, to take the five or 10 minutes to fill it out online at 2020census.gov. Do you have the phone number that people can call? So the number to respond to the census is 844-330-2020. What is the census doing? What are our local people doing to address the homeless population? Because they count too. Absolutely. So for the homeless population, they're actually counted a bit differently. So there's a point in time count. And that point in time count, the census enumerators take one particular night and they essentially go around the community to count how many people are sleeping outside for that particular time. What can you say, what more can we do to encourage people to go ahead and go to 2020census.gov or call the toll-free number 844-330-2020 by September 30th to make sure that they're counted? So what we need the community to do is influence our friends and families to fill out the census. So people listen to us and we give advice to our friends and families. We tell them why it's important. We've had the conversation when it comes to our roads, our hospitals, our businesses, our children's education, emergency funding. These are all impacted by the census. And so if you can take a few minutes to text someone who's close to you, just ask them and remind them, have you filled out the census? Do you know that the deadline is September 30th? And tell them to just take 10 minutes of their time to fill it out. That's a great idea. And I'm going to add to that, go on Facebook and just post that website, 2020census.gov, and put it on your feed so that everyone you know will see it and ask them to share it. Because that's how important it is that every single person fills it out. And Florida needs the money. We don't want to lose out on another $20 billion or more this year. We know things are difficult right now. Everybody's facing challenges because of COVID-19, changes in jobs, changes with the way school is being done. But literally 10 minutes, that's it, and you're done. Is there anything else we need to know? I mean, we're, we're only two weeks away from that deadline. I want to be sure we have all the information. I believe that's everything. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Emanuela Jean-Etienne, Community Relations Coordinator with the Urban League of Broward County, one of the seven nonprofits that together have made Florida counts to help urge people to fill out the census. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. For our final segment of EZ's Community Focus, it's a pleasure to welcome Kim Hurd, President of the Miami-Fort Lauderdale Chapter of the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation. Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I know, it's still a few weeks away in October, but you have a really fun fundraising initiative that starts on the 21st of this month. Can you tell us about Big Wigs? Okay, so what is a Susan G. Komen Big Wig? You know that we think a big wig is a very important person on a mission. So to end breast cancer forever by raising awareness and funds in their community, we want someone who's willing to have fun while wearing an attention-grabbing pink wig. That would kind of describe a Susan G. Komen big wig. 
you'll have a lot of fun along the way because the wigs are pink and crazy. But at the same time, you're doing it for an absolutely wonderful purpose. Our Big Wigs campaign is a six-week fundraising campaign from September 21st to October 31st. And we celebrate you as a community superhero fighting breast cancer. The timing also coincides with October's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And through Big Wigs, you'll have the opportunity to join with others to raise funds for life-saving education, screening, and treatment services provided throughout Florida. I guarantee you'll have fun while you participate, and there'll be plenty of opportunities for friendly competition with others all across communities in our state. As you know or may know, Coleman is one of the first calls that patients make when they first hear that they have breast cancer and need help to get critical medical services. To us, there is nothing more important than saving each and every life. Your participation will help us to save lives right here in our community. And if you decide to participate, we have a comprehensive fundraising kit that you'll get with your wig, your fundraising page on our website, templates, emails, social media posts, our official Big Wig logo and graphics, pink ribbon patches to wear during the campaign. And with your community reach, we know you can meet the $1,000 fundraising goal we ask of each participant. We're guessing there will be considerable competition across the state as you all work together to meet our $50,000 statewide goal. There'll be lots of prizes, opportunities to boost that you're, you know, that you are the top big wig. So, you know, I want to see you try to beat the top big wig. <laughs> and you supply the pink wig. Yes, we do. I love it. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. I have no doubt that there are dozens, hundreds maybe, of women right now who are already thinking, I want to wear a pink wig, and I'm <laughs> going to wear my pink tutu with my pink wig. <laughs> so how does one become a big wig? It's really easy to register. You go to comanflorida.org forward slash big wigs. Okay, that's, simple. That's how you register. Okay. How far in advance do you need to do that? If you're starting on September 21st, do you have to be a big wig for the entire six weeks or that's the amount of time allotted to raise that $1,000? That's the amount of time allotted. And if you can, it would be good to get in on the beginning, okay. move around the website, see what's available to you. And, you know, once you've registered, you'll be contacted. So you get a photo of you with your pink wig on. I love it. <laughs> you know, so that you can share and support your efforts. And if you want to see what the fundraising page looks like, again, you can visit comanflorida.org slash bigwigs. I have a contact person. Her name is Kelly Lindsay. She is excellent at this. She was born for this. Her number is 561-514-3020. That's 561-514-3020. Or email her at kelly at comanflorida.org. Got it. Kim Hurd, president of Susan G. Komen South Florida Chapter. I, I can't wait to see the pictures. Like, I know, right? <laughs> yes. And I'm also looking forward to talking to you again throughout the next month about other awareness events that you have going on with Susan G. Komen. So thank you for your time. And thank you for listening to EZ's Community Focus today, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. I'm Ellen Jaffe. If you have questions about 
about the program or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen at easy93.com. Join us again next Sunday at 6.50 for an all-new edition of Easy's Community Focus. Have a great day. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.